Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the A B C of Ita. It's very difficult. Yeah, it's difficult. Simultaneity is not our uh, coordination. I'm I'm not good with coordination. Mind and body Mind coordination. And body, yeah, but we are back and we have another letter. Another and that's episode. the important thing. You know what? That's the important thing because people come and go. Concepts come and go. But we're still here. United States. Comes and goes. Is <laughs> dying, really. I was going to say United States presidents come and go. Ah, right. But we are here. Yeah. We are longer than the president. We are longer than most things. Like, we have a continuous presence and that's why they hate us of course of course all the evil eye because of that so so we have a new letter to discuss well each time it's a, it's a new one isn't it yeah that's the concept of the show abc of ita yeah but this week for those that have not heard this what? before ne? this is the 19th episode there are like wow. 18 more episodes and each one of them two hours that's a lot of material, That's isn't it? That's a lot of material. It's not like you're going to find a lot of podcasts with so much material, is if, it? You no, know, and if you hear them back to back, it's about like three weeks you're of not, continuous... You know, how are you going <laughs> to... Back to back. <laughs> you would never do that. <laughs> yeah. Some people might do. Some people might do. We have really like hardcore fans. Shall we do the letter? The new so, letter. Let, let's let's take a letter. Uh, let's uh, let's let's see what it is. The letter of the week is S. S for sugar. Yeah. Although we're not going to do sugar. No. <laughs> so Interesting. S for other. Oh, for all words starting from S. From S, like sugar, but not sugar. Yeah. So. Uh, it's a really good letter, lots of words. Lots I of personally words. struggle with the S sounds, you know that. Ah, because of the... I find it hard, like, especially when people have a little bit of a lisp. You, you have I a find it difficult. Some people have said that this you is know, internalized homophobia. It is internalized homophobia. Okay, okay, sure. whatever. Yes. I think I have a linguistic... Uh, homophobia. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> let's take a word then. Speaking of homophobia, uh-huh. the first word of the day is straight. Straight? Like as in straight people, straightness. Like very gay word? I mean, when you put on Pornhub straight as a yeah. gay word, yeah. it's gay porn that comes up. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. Because straight people do not search for straight. straight. Yeah. Right. That's what, that, that's what I meant, that the... The concept of straight is, invented, is a gay concept. Is invented by the gays mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to sell more <laughs> gayness. <laughs> That's actually quite interesting, isn't it? Uh, like Foucault said it first. Well, yeah, okay, I didn't say that it's my thought, uh, but um, it's a, it's a, it's it's just something interesting to have in mind. Just to clarify, Foucault didn't say <laughs> that gay people invented straightness. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But, uh, anyway, but that yeah. The, the heterosexuality can only exist after you invent homosexuality. Right, yes. Um, Although, is heterosexuality and straightness the same thing? No, because, I mean, because, you know, it's like when you talk about straight, Yeah. And, you, and, and, and as a gay person, you type straight to find straight porn. Yeah, no, str- straight men in gay porn. Uh, oh. 
yeah. Yeah. To find this kind of spectrum, let's say, of <laughs> of things, <laughs> whatever it is. Mm. Um it's almost like specifying something which actually isn't really that specified. Oh, right. Yeah. Isn't it? It is a little bit. Yeah. You, you, it's a fantasy. It's almost... No, but also socially, we are making things worse. For whom? For the straight people. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> because they used to be more queer and now they're more straight. Are they? Yeah. I think gay people are the m- the most straight now. If you it's true, it's true. So you disagree with yourself? I disagree with myself. Yeah. <laughs> no. I, what I meant is that um, I think gay people yeah are straight in their lives. Yes. And gay in their sex. Okay. And straight people. Yes. Are I don't know I, I lost are gay in their lives and straight in their sex. Yeah, I think so in a way. But this is the other thing. Like, okay, this is a bit of a cliche, a psychoanalytic cliche. You know, Freud said we're all born polymorphous, perverse. So we like no one is really like living up to this ideal of you know this heterosexual intercourse that is to procreate. Right. Um, and because Nobody really wants to procreate. No, right? Right. Especially, str- I think gay people want to procreate more, more than straight yeah. people. Yeah. That, hence, back to my concept. It's true, it's true. I I buy this concept. I don't disagree. It just, it needs a little bit of finesse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, because it's, it's got this, you know, I, I have this aphoristic thing. Yeah. And, uh, Sometimes it works. Yeah. Some, when it doesn't work, it's hard to sell. Yes. But uh, you're in the in the good direction. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's it's you know it's not just it's not even just about I don't think it's even you know what what so like in queer theory for example mm-hmm. they will always say and we did Q very extensively in yeah. like three episodes back um they always say oh you know straightness is all about like making kids and being queer is about like the death drive you know Lee Edelman and these people right. it's about like negating like um, making children and being productive and it's like mm, straight people negate it more than ever more than ever yeah. and M- they could more have than it. anyone yeah. they could put the baby yeah. in and they don't they don't yeah whereas they like they, they basically kill potential babies every, every day every Every moment Every of day. their like. So if Lee Edelman is listening, yeah, Lee, I think he knows. But he knows that, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but let's let's tell him, Lee. Lee, what about all those straight people that kill babies every day? Aren't they the real queer no future? They are.
Very ah. nice. Very good start of the show. Very nice song. Yeah. How do you feel? I'm feeling good. And how does how is the audience feeling? They're very good. Yeah? Mm? Are they happy? Medium happy. Medium happy? Mm-hmm. Is that the perfect state to be in? Nowadays. The best you can aspire to. No, always. Yeah. If you're too happy, something is... Yeah, it's not really... Disturbing. Yeah. So, shall we take another word? We shall. Uh, the next word is superficial. Superficial? Mm-hmm. Mm. What does it mean? Uh, I mean, I don't know. You, you, you're asking etymologically. Not linguistically. What does, why, why, um, what it, does means it mean to you? It means uh, the surface. Mm. Like what you see. Yeah. Like it is nega- ne- like most negative. often. No, always. And an insult. I, I think know? it's always negative. Yeah, yeah. It's I like don't think anybody says. I think if they wanted to say something that about something that is really obvious, but striking, they would say maybe striking, or they would say, yeah. I don't know, iconoclastic or like something like this. Like if you like are like this. bimbo and you're proud of yourself, and you're like, oh, I'm so superficial, la la la. Such a thing exists. Yeah, people who identify as bimbos. Yeah, of course. Are you transphobic? <laughs> no, I'm not. But I'm. I mean, I mean that they actually say. Um, yeah. Uh, there, there is like there is like su- superficiality pride. Bimbification. It's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. And like women and and other genders that go to hypnotists to become more stupid. You don't know that? No, I missed that. Ah, it's a wonderful like subculture. Anyway. Do you read these things in Reddit? Yes. <laughs> well, you are an edgelord and I'm less of an edgelord because if I am an edgelord at my age, it would be too cringy, wouldn't it? I'm on the... You're on the verge. On of the verge. You're on the limit of how much more you can read Reddit really without being yeah. but what embarrassing. But what are the options? I can't go on TikTok, you know. No, that would be way too embarrassing. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, but Reddit is also kind of embarrassing. What should I do? Retire from the internet? You should retire from the internet, which is what you've mostly done anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, about superficial. Superficial. Um, we live in a superficial culture now. They say so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, back in the was, day. That was the cliche of the day. Thank you very much. Um no, I mean the, the the way I mean who who uses the term superficial? That's that's what I'm interested in. Who is it? Um, bad people. <laughs> bad people. I don't mean the, the actual. Police. I'm not interested in the actual person that <laughs> uses the term superficial. Yeah. But but about you know but about who what sort of person would use the term superficial? It's a it's a person that believes that there is a system of depth. Yeah. And they can look at something and they can say, this is superficial. It doesn't reach further depths. I mean, there are levels of depths when it comes to how someone engages with an issue, for example. It's not objective. There's no meter to measure. But, uh, but, you know, there is common sense. I kind of disagree. Oh, do you? Yeah. um, Because... I don't think you can really judge this on layers. Mm. Um, 
What do I mean about that? Is that I think, for example, something can be really obvious and really profound. And something Mm. can be much more complex Mm. and completely shallow. Interestingly. This is my... my, uh, Our good friend Jacques Lacan. Interestingly, our good (laughs) friend Jacques Lacan. He says um, that the unconscious, unlike what most psychoanalysts think, that the unconscious is something really deep, he says that actually the unconscious exists in the surface, and that's that's why we can only we can only gra- grasp it through you know interacting with each other because it emerges on the edge of our selfhood actually not in some sort of introspective state. And I would agree with our friend <laughs> <laughs> with your friend. Um, not not from a I mean I don't have the, the tools to, yeah, to be able yeah. to discuss this, but um that's why I'm I'm really interested, as you know, in nominalism mm-hmm. in in the the way something relates to its name. Yeah. Uh, because I think there is something very profound in this surface, which is the name. The materiality, like the sound. Materiality is even heavier than the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The name. Just leave it to that. Don't say the sound. Don't say the materiality. The these are all... No, no, no. These are all hev- heavier, deeper meanings. No. The name of something. Okay. Um, and, and, and how this, I think, is, uh, is... There's something really complex in that surface. That's why I don't believe in this notion of superficial. And in fact... I mean, that's the sort of theory side, but practically, my main problem, you know what's my main problem. Do know what you, you know mean. what's my main problem. Do I know? You know what's my main problem. Tell us. All those people, usually, mm-hmm. they study French literature. <laughs> and and, and they're, they love cinema. <laughs> you know those people? Do you know, like listeners, do you know those people? Like, France is important. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. France is important for Greece, I think. And Jim Jarmus. We we come from from this kind of background where there is the whole, yeah, but that's not an American movie. It's a French movie thing going on. And basically for me, the, oh, it's a French movie without discussing what film it is and so on, is the equivalent of this is also going to be fairly stupid, but pretend that it's actually something really clever. Right. That's the analogy of it's a French movie. And that's my problem with the non-superficial people. I think the people who think of themselves as non-superficial or the people who are interested in the non-superficial stuff Mm. are interested in this very uh, tiny amount of complexity actually mm. that they think is complex but it's actually really
Again, we have more uh, things to discuss, serious issues, and songs they? to listen, things to discuss, two experiences to share, everything. Two hours of colors joy. to smell. Yes, synesthesia, another S, uh, yeah, no. word that we don't do. We're not going to do that. No, it's just too. S has got too many. We could have too done like many. three or four different S's. Well, well, that's the essence of this show. Sometimes you have all these nice things to talk, and about. sometimes not Nothing. at all. But that's like psychoanalysis, isn't it? And life. <laughs> okay, next word is a really is a really big topic for me. <laughs> Sandals. Like Jesus sandals. Mm, all, all sandals. Basically, by sandals, what I mean is things you wear on your feet. That do not fully cover the foot. The toes. Or as we call... Specifically the toes. Yes. Or as we call them in Greece, the foot fingers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, in Greek uh, and in other languages, actually. Yeah, it's actually in other languages uh, too, yeah. Toes are called foot fingers. <laughs> it's quite uncanny. Yeah. For especially for English speakers. Anyway, I don't like foot fingers. Foot fingers. I like foot fingers. Okay, there are contexts where I like foot fingers, but generally I don't want to encounter them in the public space. No. I think it's really obscene. I think it's the equivalent of uh, sewing your anus <laughs> while walking down the street and some people might have appealing anuses, but most people, in everyday context, you don't do not want, want to see other people's anuses. Exactly, and I find it really crazy, like living in Greece, where there is such a sandal culture, obviously linking to nationalist ideals of the ancient Greeks. Of course, and their fucking sandals made of like nice leather. I hate it. Maybe I can tolerate it on women because I don't want to be dismissive of their gender and they really like sandals. Do they? Yeah, I think it's kind of sexist, isn't it? What can I say? Women anyway, like sandals. But when men started wearing sandals in the 90s... Men started wearing sandals in the 90s? I don't know. I made <laughs> this up. What about flip-flops? Isn't that sandals? Flip-flops. Flip-flops is from like whenever. They're not from the 90s. I don't think. And Havaianas no. and stuff like that. Who was wearing Havaianas in the, like to go out? In Brazil. To, no, in Greece. I'm talking about You're Greece. talking about the Greek sandal problem. The Greek sandal problem is very specific in Greece. Okay? So if, if this... Uh, Men started wearing sandals to go out yeah. in Greece in my lifetime, I think. 1997. I would say. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. for example. Anyway, I recognize at some point in my life, for many years, it, I wouldn't negotiate this. It would be my dogma. So how would you go to the beach, for example? With my dog Martens. Nice. <laughs> Summer is Martens with shorts. Great. Very nice aesthetic. Mm-hmm. I, I'm still proud of this aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Short hot pants with... Doc, Dr. Martens. Yeah, with nice... Uh, boots. Boots. At some point... I mean, it's nice for the sand, because sand is hideous. Exactly. I mean, really. And, like, also the dirt of the city on your feet is not nice, objectively. But not so many people wear sandals in the city. Duh! Lies! Everyone in Athens anymore. Like, there are no taboos anymore on that domain. Anyway, one day, I arrived to my psychoanalysis. Sorry, I share lots of anecdotes from this, uh, but... What can we say? What can I do? I arrive, it's summer in London, but one of the hot days, and my analyst... Is it between the 4th and the 7th of July. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and my analyst is wearing... Sandals. Sandals. Oh. And I'm having a stroke. I'm lying on the divan. The session starts. I don't want to say what the fuck is <laughs> happening here. So I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to talk about my life but my anger is like very the the unconscious in the surface very surface (laughs) level tension anyway at some point i'm like but you're wearing sandals you said that and he was like what (laughs) and i was like i started talking about sandals anyway many sessions talking about sandals many sessions really yes it was a big topic he, he, he thought that there is something there and kept asking. Yeah, so now I'm a, I've worked it through a little bit. I don't hate people who wear sandals. Mm-hmm. I wear sandals in At appropriate home? places. Which, w- like uh, what? Like in a sauna? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, at home, in, in the beach, uh, at the beach and stuff like that. Um, and if it's really hot in the summer yes. and I have to go nearby... To buy something, um, I wear sandals. You wear sandals to go to the kiosk? The Adidas sandals. I've accepted. (gasps) You've accepted. As long as sandals go through some Germanic modernism, that's okay for you. Yes.
Ich gebe meinem Bock Fisch die Pille. Und wenn der Bratschirin kommt, und wenn der Bratschirin kommt, immer Pavillon. Immer Pavillon. Immer Pavillon. Ich gebe meinem Bock Fisch die Pille Und wenn der Bratscherin kommt Und wenn der Bratscherin kommt Im Aquarium Im Aquarium Ich gebe meinem Bauch Fisch die Pille Und wenn der Bratscherin kommt Und wenn der Bratscherin kommt Im Aquarium Im Aquarium I'm glad I've shared this sandal kind problem. of problem because it's been uh, really difficult for me for many years. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I understand. I mean, maybe it sounds silly to yeah. make such a big issue, but actually, uh, foot fingers are not such a small issue in general in no, terms no. of the of the of the human psyche. Why do so many people fetishize them? You know, it's not like you will find many people fetishizing elbows, for example. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. I mean, there's something with the toes which is, I don't know, uncanny, mm. um, connecting us with something from from the early infant, the very early <laughs> years. Yeah. My friend Anna also hates um, the toes. Toes. Yeah. Yeah, m- many people don't like toes or are fascinated by toes. Let's move to the next topic, though. Which uh, links beautifully. Links beautifully, yes. Uh, and the, the next topic is uh, Satanists. Satanists. Not Satan. Wait, like it's specifically about Satanists. The practitioners, um, <laughs> like the um, the Norwegian metalers, for example, who go and uh, do. Oh, I was thinking of them. Black metal, you know, when they go and burn churches and stuff like that. Do they? Yeah, they used to, yeah, yeah. I thought it was just for fashion. It's mostly fashion, but they also burn 
some churches as a fashion statement <laughs> yeah anyway i had in mind actually actually if you if you look at uh black metal right you're saying it is a joke that it's a fashion statement that they burn bridge uh, not bridges <laughs> <laughs> that they burn that's me <laughs> yeah. i'm the specialist of bridge burning yeah. um that they burn churches um but it's really kind of a lifestyle i have to show you some documentaries about uh, norwegian black i'm metal. intrigued <laughs> yes um, but i was thinking of you know growing up uh in the 90s um there was this thing be careful of the satanists there was like this omnipotent uh kind of fear around yeah, these people I mean, who kill who sacrifice children i wonder to what extent we need to explain that to our non-greek audience there is there is but i think there was was, was were, were there a lot of satanists in the 90s in general i think that it was a global phenomenon are you sure because Gre- greece usually get this phenomenon before about about 10 or 15 years so late you, you mean it was so an maybe 80s it was thing. an 80s thing maybe in mm. internationally i don't know it was there was a thing in the 90s um that the the, the scare th- like there was like this yeah like the media really was like into it and and about how people gathered and they would uh, i don't know sometimes they killed people in in greece well one time there was one group of, of satanists that were actually doing this yes so it was almost like the i don't know what came first the media like panic or the actual satanists that's interesting yeah but because because i remember that was such a big discourse with so little actual reality behind it um I don't know the, the the I grew up really with the, I mean you were very little when the when the satan You're still going though as a as a scare like oh be careful in the night don't go to abandoned houses because there are like satanists I remember that they were quite hot the satan Yeah Well let's talk about the this the the actual the, the historical uh, bunch of them i mean it's not like that that they are not that interesting for us to to speak about this particular bunch no uh, no it's just uh, it's just some people who went and uh, killed you know, other people they killed a couple of people yeah, not mm. really that many i think they're all in jail still no no they left they ah, went out. have they been released mm. yeah. okay um but i remember thinking that this is um good what i, <laughs> I, I <laughs> explain <laughs> doesn't sound so good um yeah yeah explain a little bit <laughs> um it was very inspiring for me okay still <laughs> not we're not at the place we should be um i don't know they they had a, they had um i like the fact that they looked like they could be my friends and they were doing something really transgressive mm-hmm. but they didn't look like they had a very troubled background right they were like really easy to identify as a middle class person like a, a kind of oh you know our lives are fairly comfortable so should we just like burn some people mm. it was this kind of thing quite a dark turn <laughs> yeah. of the sandals um Yeah, no, I, I and and they would never wear sandals. <laughs> you, what? <laughs> These <laughs> satanists. They would never wear sandals. Um 
Yeah. So I remember it as a, I mean, I, I like this. Uh, I mean, I don't know. It was, for me, it was a bit like, um, I like the concept, mm. but Satan is kind of nothing mm. because I, I didn't believe in God. So I didn't believe in Satan either. Yeah. And so I thought, I like the concept, not so much the death thing. Yeah, but the transgression, I guess. Yeah, and not so much the religion, so I didn't really like it. But, but it's really... Th there's, there's, there's a strange thing, because I didn't really like it. I didn't really like so many of the, of the elements of it. But uh, as affect, I kind of liked these kids who were Satanists. Mm. There was something quite charming, I thought. <lacht> Furchtbar voll hier. Aber da drüben wird gerade eine Umkleidekabine frei. Ja, da können wir doch zusammen hineingehen. Ja, können wir machen. Puh, ist das aber eng hier.
Hello, we're back. Um, we're spicing up things a little bit in our show. For the first time ever, we will actually have an interview. Uh, we will interview a word starting from S. Um, and I would like to introduce you. Like, actually, would you like to introduce yourself? Who are you? Hello. Hello. It's a pleasure for me to be here. Yes, tell us your name. My name is Safe Space. Oh, can I call you Safe? No. You can call me Safe Space. Okay, it's really, really lovely having you here tonight. I'm, I'm a big fan of your early work. Um, are you? Because I thought you aren't really. No, I actually... Uh, I remember the first time uh, I, I've, I've encountered you uh, more than 10 years ago. Um, do you remember me? Yes. So would you like to tell us a few things about your the beginning of your career? I was young, and it was very exciting. I went into people's minds. What were you doing then? Uh, what, how did you start, like, you know, attracting attention and getting people to subscribe to your, uh, you know, ideals? I promised them a utopia, which of course isn't possible. Uh, interesting. So did you know at the time it wasn't possible? Yes. You knew that what you promised was not possible and nevertheless you tried to convince all these people to, to, to come and join you. Yes. One could say that's a little bit immoral, don't you think? No. Are you... Are, do you consider yourself a, a moral person? Yes. And how does it go hand in hand with lying to people? I didn't exactly lie. I promised them something that wasn't possible. And they strove for that. And that's a good thing. Interesting. But let's come to today. Uh, one could say that you've been cancelled. I have. How do you feel about cancel culture then? It is terrible. But one could argue that you kind of introduced this idea in the mainstream? I didn't. I think that you actually did. I am not responsible for the readings of people. So what do you think will be your legacy in the world? Sandals. I, I, I was a Mr. Reporter. <laughs> Let's 
and we're back. We're back, back to the normal. <laughs> How was structure. it with Safe Space? I wasn't here. It was uh, it was interesting. The, um, it was very it was nice to meet uh, to, to have the opportunity to discuss with the Safe Space actually. Yeah. Did you learn a lot of things? Yeah, I've learned lots of things about the history of Safe Spaces and the ontology of safe spaces it was really cool yeah and 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 what did safe space think about the, the present it was good it was a bit cryptic cryptic yeah i i would need to listen to it uh, a couple of times to would you say decode. that in general our audience has to listen to our podcasts three or four times in order to be that's why to we have these big hiatus hiatuses between um you know episodes so people mm-hmm. so can people can revisit them yeah really. exactly yeah, it sounds like the right thing to do, doesn't it? Yeah, especially the J episode. I think it's really important to Is re- it? visit. Okay. Where we talk about jugglers. I don't know if you remember. No, I don't remember it. No. Yeah, it's really good. So, are we going to take another word? Yeah, let's take another word. Um, and the word is snobbish. Snobbish. Yeah. Um, well, like someone like is a bit of a snob. I mean, snobbish is is. Is the ish thing like the way we use? No, it's like a normal part of the word, isn't it? I don't know. In Greek, we say. Or would you say snobby? snobby. Does does that also exist? Because ish usually means little. Like little, yeah. yeah. No idea. No idea either. Anyway, what does that mean then? Um, is when someone uh, is a bit of an elitist, I guess. Is it? Not really. Not really. It's, it's more kind of used in everyday kind of interactions, right? When you are not basically giving your full attention to everything, or your full at- or your full anything to yeah. anything, and you have like very specific, um, I would say standards, but maybe you say criteria of when you engage with people or with things. Uh huh. So you have some criteria, and if something doesn't meet this criteria then you're just not engaging, basically. So essentially, a snob is a person who just does not follow social, you know, common behavior, basically. Like social, I don't know, uh, normality. Is it? Because yeah. I mean, is it expected that people will engage with... Every, like, because yes, no one... it is expected. I like think it's not. I think you're supposed to be... This is the difference between, like, snobbish and, like, being normal is that where no one is actually engaging with everything and everyone but you have to do it in a polite way when you don't engage so you don't what, you show think, you think snobbish people are impolite i i think that's the assumption that you don't you don't show that you're not interested that not yeah, well, that, well, showing well, you're not interested is insulting to other people yeah well that's what i said then is is that that this the, that when someone is snobbish they're actually just being more honest yeah, but like honesty is not a good thing. Honesty, honesty is not a good thing. Not when you are hurting other people's feelings, is it? But I don't understand why snobbery hurts other people's feelings. I don't that I, that I don't understand. It, it, it should be like a consensual thing. Like, oh, you're not interested. Great, I'm moving on. Yeah, and this never this is never nice. No one likes rejection. It's not even rejection in terms of content. It's it can be rejection in terms of it. It's not even rejection. It can just be like 
whatever you know like don't like don't do that like don't don't you know very well that we're not together in this the snobbish person thinks myself thinks hey you know very well i know it and you know it this isn't meant to happen no this is circumstantial what what is circumstantial First of all, yes. you little bitch. Yes. When I wanted to meet you, you were snobbish and you didn't want to meet me because you didn't like uh, the aesthetic of my profile or something. Yes. And it was a mistake. It wasn't a mistake. <laughs> it wasn't a mistake. It was like it was like uh no, I'm 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 not saying that well I I think it was a good time that I didn't meet you then, so I met you later. Ah. So it was the right circumstance. Anyway. Yeah, because maybe if I was if I was in a particular mood that day and you were in a particular other mood, mm -hmm. maybe it would be like, mm, nah, that doesn't work so well. True. So I don't, and it's not even it's not even a chaos theory shit. It's it's just like uh, <laughs> very retro. Yeah, it's 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 just uh, yeah, it's it's. I actually believe in in timing. Yeah, and too. I and I think if everybody is snobbish, like protective of their own space, yeah, um, then people would know much quicker when it works, and they wouldn't be wasting all this time on stupid people. I don't know because, and and oh, I would like to put like a little note here, yeah, because I think maybe I sound elitist. Mm -hmm. Do I? Yeah, you do. Okay, it's not. A, I I think the reason why I don't think snobbery and elitism is at all the same is that there isn't really a high versus low thing going on here. No, it's equal opportunity. Yes. <laughs> Rejection. Yeah. No. I mean, it's no, no. It's like I can be snobbish. Yeah. Towards something which is too complicated for me to deal with. Yeah. And in fact, most of the most of the snobbish people I've met in my life have been quite quite dull and stupid. Yeah. So I'm not. Uh, you are perplexed. I see in your face. I'm perplexed because I'm thinking, like the, the, a snob is not someone who necessarily has info. This is what I mean. It's not someone who is educated. It's not someone who is who is complicated. It's not someone who has a lot of extra knowledge. It's what just do they have? It, it, the ability to protect their space. You can do it nicely without showing to the other person they are boring. You cannot really, no. Mm. The, the only way you can do that is... is by being uh, condescending. A snob, snobbish person is not condescending. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There are different ways. Um, I would say a snobbish person is someone that just has decided what they like. And okay, No, this is not right. You should always have space for the other to, to introduce something you didn't know you liked. You know that you're now being extremely theoretical because you're one of the least open people I know, one of the people who by default thinks that everybody's stupid unless... In extreme circumstances, the opposite is proved. They don't know it. They never know it. 
I'm very nice. What time it is? What time is it? I don't know what time is. Uh, I mean, it's a podcast, so it's not so like there is, there is no a specific time, time uh, for each person. It's a different it's subjective. Yeah, and they are all in different uh, countries and time zones and um, minds, mindsets, and um, all that. But I actually meant, what kind of time is it? It's the philosopher of the week time. It is the philosopher of the week time. Okay, that's great. That's a great week to do philosophy. Why is that? Are you particularly fond of the of today's choice? Medium. Fond. Medium fond. Okay. Why is it then a great time to do philosophy? Um, because um, I've been thinking a lot this about week. this person mm. and about philosophy. Philosophy. Okay. Anyway, so the philosopher of the week yes. is uh, Gayatri Spivak, mm-hmm. um, one of the, th- let's say, founding mothers, founding members of postcolonial theory. Mm-hmm. Um, 
one of like the you know uh, obviously a really really influential post-structuralist she's read her derrida mm-hmm. very well from the beginning to the end mm-hmm. and from the end to the beginning uh, backwards as well he does no make difference big difference, difference. The grammatology mm-hmm. even if you read it sideways <laughs> yeah it's hard and Spivak asks what this can the subordinate speak <laughs> and who is the subaltern exactly and i think so as someone who's read the the <laughs> the essay a couple of times quite complicated <laughs> uh-huh. but like in essence basically there is this question of like all these kind of people all these subjects who live you know outside of these hegemonic cultures and how can we kind of represent them within our discourse without othering them if it's if it is at all possible and then if we cannot represent them within our discourse, how can they represent themselves within our discourse? Um, and it's quite theoretically dense and it kind of initializes this kind of 30 years of basically postcolonial critique and theory uh, and kind of introduces this idea of like the non-Western people having different perceptions of reality. Therefore, we have to kind of question universalisms of all kinds, including universalism around discourses like the human rights, for example, which was politically quite challenging at the time and still is. And there are many critics of her work where they say basically, oh, she's a, you know, an upper class person talking about this abalders. But, you know, in reality, there might be universalism that they are good for the subalterns. Um, uh, for example, there is a Marxist critic of her work that kind of says that actually, you know, the universalism of class struggle is quite good for the subalterns. Um, but, but I would like to close this little uh, part with a little anecdote. You have a little anecdote. I have a little anecdote with Spivak. Um, Not Spivak herself, unfortunately. Although I know many people have juicy anecdotes with her. She's, Do they? She's quite an interesting person. Um, um, before the anecdote, yeah. would you like to tell us where do you stand or you don't really stand on, I on it at all? I really, like, I really like everything that I've read from her. It's quite dense, quite theoretical. It's, qu- it's also quite mind-bending, this idea of like, who exists within discourse and who, who, how can people fight to find their voices within discourse. And I think in the arts, in the art world where her work is quite influential, I think it's become, it's became quite simplified into this idea that, you know, when you curate a show, you need to find these voices, for example, from the, from like places where they don't usually have access to, um, cultural production uh-huh. it became slightly watered down into this kind of like more highbrow tokenism basically highbrow tokenism okay um, which is not at all what I think her writing is about I I do think like that the Marxist critique of postcolonial theory is interesting and I'm, I'm following people like um, yeah I, I'm following this critic uh, um, but 
Yeah, I, anyway, I lost the train of my thought. Um, anecdote. Anecdote, anecdote. Um, so, you know, infamously in the, in the, um, can the subaltern speak? There are all these references about like Indian women and the women who like basically bury themselves with their husbands and what does it mean for them and what does it mean for them to be um, like seen by the Western eye, etc. Um, so uh, a friend of, uh, let's say, an acquaintance of mine has read the essay uh, while she was doing her master's in the in the UK and she was very shaken and very, like, she thought it was really profound and amazing. She goes on a date with this Indian uh, woman and she tells her, oh my God, I've read this uh, essay and I think it's really great. The Indian woman is like, oh yeah, it's quite, it's quite a nice essay. Then during the date, the Indian woman says, by the way, I'm really into psychoanalysis. I really like psychoanalysis. And the Greek uh, woman who's read Spivak tells her, psychoanalysis is a Western uh, epistemology. You should resist that Western <laughs> epistemology. <laughs> That's the anecdote. <laughs> Thank you for this um, <laughs> enlightening part about enlightening. postcolonial theory. So let's continue with something post, rather postcolonial. Rather postcolonial. Um, and this word that I, it's really close to my heart. Yeah. And that is souvlaki. 
Souvlaki. Oh, souvlaki. Souvlaki. First of all, should we explain what, what souvlaki, souvlaki is? is? Yeah, yeah. For our friends in Canada and Australia, around the world, I think they all kind of know because um, there are Greek immigrants everywhere. Yeah, I mean there is. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they call it gyros or something. Yeah, I mean, uh, gyros. Souvlaki is like uh, basically like um, and uh, sin- I, I think or, or, or it means like the word actually means little skewers. So it's the uh, the the. It's a small equivalent of shish kebab, basically. Yeah, without the spices, though. Y- yeah, w- w- we can we can talk about it about in a minute about mm-hmm. you know, the way they do it in Greece. Um, that's what it means. Um, but in the in the south of Greece, Greece, it has come to mean something that comes in a pita bread. True. Um, so it, it's it's not so much anymore the material thing as it is the well, it's still material. The meal experience. The, the me- it's the meal experience of something kebab-like in Greece. Yeah, yeah. Um, pita, usually meat. Or like a protein. It could be like halloumi. That's really rare in Greece. Yeah, okay. Uh, usually meat, pita. Chips, really Greek. Yeah, potatoes and, and uh, tzatziki, they, you know, yogurt sauce. That's like... Um, a small compact thing that you that you um, you eat on the street. Yeah, like it's, it's the most food. common street food of Greece, and very cheap. Also, it's like a couple of euros to buy one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's okay. It's it's cheap food. Yeah, yeah. Um, and omnipresent anywhere you go in Greece, you will find the local souvlaki place. Yeah. And then, and, and of course, uh, it, it, it travels through across it, the world, yeah. really, uh, or at least the Western world. I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think that the with, with the Greek immigrants. And the main difference with the kebab is like um, the pork, obviously, because the, the Greek version has pork, whereas in the Greek version, it's the most common one is is pork. Right. Um, now you love them. I do love them. So when I came to study in Athens, I would have souvlaki literally every day of my life. I just, I just really like it. It's like such a compact meal. It's a compact meal. It has all the food groups. But why not a burger then? I don't know. I like souvlaki better. And uh, when you are in Greece, you eat it all the time, don't you? Well, you know, wh- when I well, can, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I do. Like even today, I had one earlier. You had one. Mm-hmm. And um, what about the souvlaki culture outside of Greece? Well, then, <laughs> you are the expert. Um, so yeah, when you go abroad and you live abroad, first of all, before we enter your theory, uh, I really missed souvlaki. Living in the UK, yeah. When I'm in when I'm in London, of course there are like places, but like seven seven pounds. For they're not good and they're very expensive. And so, okay, they have the nostalgic factor. So sometimes I will buy, but it's never the same satisfaction. Like not even remotely. So I do have this souvlaki nostalgia as uh-huh. a person, <laughs> and so do many other 
people from Greece. You want me to go to my theory? I do, I do. Want to. Um, I have this theory called Suvlaki bonding. Um, it's when Greek people. I mean, it it, go, it goes back to the the myth that Greek Greek food is good. Oh, <laughs> this might be a shocking thing to say. <laughs> you know, I think people are not ready to hear that Greek food is not good. Well, some <laughs> people are ready. You know, one of my earliest shocking memories in terms of food and Greece in. Uh, the UK, I had, um, when I did film studies in 1996, seven and eight, I had this really good friend um, who is British Indian. And um, he said, I, I went to Greece and I loved it. It was so nice swimming. And uh, like, he started describing all of this. I was like, oh my God, another, you know, like live your myth in Greece kind of thing mm. going on. Land of heroes. <laughs> And then he says, oh, but the food was terrible. <laughs> and I was like, uh, was eureka moment. And I was like, go on. <laughs> he was like, yeah, I don't know. Everything was like oily and not particularly spiced and um, <laughs> dull and, and, you know, kind of like simplistically cooked. And, and I was like, Mm -hmm. Wow, that was for me like a real revelation, like the first <laughs> moment where this myth of the fantastic Greek food kind of started collapsing, basically. The Greeks are really like not ready to hear that. I told this story and even the more, critic the more critical of the people I was hanging out with that were from Greece were like, no, <laughs> like I cannot accept this. Yes, Greece says... Uh, country of fascists and whatever but no the food is amazing <laughs> the food is amazing like don't do that um of course food and nationalism is something that goes hand in hand of course like even serbians think they have good i mean Ser serbians think they have good food i mean uh, and hungarians yeah let's leave it there yeah. <laughs> um so i i invented this term um, called suvlaki bonding, <laughs> which is basically when two Greeks went to the UK to study, or wherever, but I... Anywhere in the world. Yeah, anywhere in the world, but there was, uh, you know, the, the, there was something special about that particular place. About, 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 I mean, not so much a anywhere in the world. They wouldn't necessarily exactly say it in the same way, maybe Because Germany. the UK is also like... Germ the UK is particularly n not like Greek-like in its yeah, habits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the desserts are not particularly sweet and... Uh, what? You think they are? I don't know what you're referring to because there are all these disgusting English desserts like the puddings and the whatever, like the... The pudding puddings are not tasty, but they're not sweet. No, no, like... Bread and butter pudding, and they're all very sweet. You've you have forgotten Greek desserts, or like, but like the yeah. syrupy ones. The syrupy ones, or the ones that it's just like fruit inside sugar. No, that's disgusting. Uh, also, you, no, you know, okay, jams and marmalades are much less sweet in the UK. Yeah, and also Greece. the cakes. The cakes. The are cakes are much lighter. Yeah. 
Okay, okay. I, I, there are I follow cheese-based uh, stuff, which is, which are. I mean, okay, maybe that's more Germanic, but yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, I'm not saying that they're not trashy. I'm just saying that they are less sugary. But anyway, that's uh, like that's off the point. Um, the UK, inf- the, the food in the UK is mostly dreadful. I mean, I mean it goes no, without be, saying. But also, if you're Greek, you wouldn't access necessarily the immigrants' food in the UK which is good because you wouldn't want to experiment you wouldn't do anything yeah. if you were Greek in the UK yeah. and and you know and so souvlaki bonding is that the magical moment when two people meet and they don't know each other very well yet and the first thing they bond upon is <laughs> the food and how <laughs> dreadful it is and oh I would do anything for a souvlaki <laughs> <laughs> on this rainy Tuesday <laughs> afternoon. Mm-hmm. I've and, been there. And I think the souvlaki bonding um, kind of starts as this, you know, nostalgia about food, but it's actually about anything. <laughs> um, and it seems that there is a there is a very strong element, you know, for centuries, apparently, of Greeks traveling, but wanting to go back. Like Odysseus. And and it's like, <laughs> why, like, just, why don't you just stay in Greece? Such great. Yeah.
we're back with Hello a little bit again. of a light chat about all things starting from us. Yes, like we, it's it's it's. I've had fun today. I have fun in every episode. You have fun in every episode, except for you know, oh oh, you didn't like oh. I hate it. You hate oh. Dreadful. Um, dreadful oh, bad oh. Okay. <laughs> To be fair, it's not really quite. A, it's not an easy letter, is it? Mm-mm. But we're here. I want to see what we're gonna do when the letters get really difficult towards the end. It's of the alphabet. coming mm-hmm. up. Eh? It's going to be a roller coaster. A roller coaster. I think we have S and T is great, and then the roller coaster begins. Yeah, then it's all difficult from then on. Mm-hmm. But. Our beloved audience, we'll I think, stick will, with be, us. Will, will stick with us, will be with us in these we'll difficult X and W moments. And we will make it. We will clench our teeth. And take it. Take it. Um, so, let's take the next word, uh, which is um, structuralism. Structuralism. You know what? What? Such a beloved term. Structuralism. And so hard to deal with for so many people i i think the i think for everyone mm. i think for me the most interesting thing of st- of studying ab- about structuralism is the distinction bec- between structuralism and post structuralism yeah which we will tackle today <laughs> are we uh, yeah because i was going to say that i read quite a lot but i can't quite put my finger on the line between one and the other to be fair, there are also multiple di- definitions uh, across different disciplines. For example, there is also like the um, uh, architectural structure, like modernism versus postmodernism. Excuse me. These things. Excuse yeah. me. Sorry. Sorry. We're not going to talk about We this. have a serious talk, <laughs> and you're bringing in architectural concepts. What's next? Dance? Modern dance? Yeah, next, the next is modern dance, and then what? <laughs> Let's go back to structurally. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting as a term, philosophically speaking, because, mm-hmm. you know, it, philosophy since the beginning of time was about creating, uh, either creating or explaining structure, existing structures. But the departure, I guess, is that structuralism kind of takes a more radical step towards saying that, you know, the whole reality is basically est- constructed and, and everything happens because language constructs the reality. Or something like that, or if you go to Levi Strauss, is about like this idea that, like, there are these underlining s- s- structures like across different cultures and the dog across different times. I mean, I think you're you're kind of putting a, um, a kind of supercultural spin on it. Yeah, which is true, but not necessary. I mean, you can you can just keep it to linguistics, really. Yeah. You can just keep it to structures of uh, communication. Yeah. Um, and it's wild. It is wild. <laughs> yes. Um, like but but I it's all it's I mean it, for it's me it's so wild that I'm thinking, how did people live before that with Plato, with nonsense? Yeah. With Plato, like brought things out of his ass. Not literally, but like maybe literally. Maybe yeah. literally, but but uh, like yeah, philosophy. 
airy, fairy, whatever. Structuralism. More, more spiritual. Examples. Uh, but then you end words. Up, you end up with linguistic determinism. Everything is oh, language come and nothing on. You else. end up with a linguistic determinism if you're insane. Why would you do that? Foucault. Such a good boy. And? He ended up being deterministic. Come on. He also did the BDSM on the side. That's the... But the books... (laughs) Very... They do have a little bit of the... The books are full of BDSM. Full. The first page of uh, Discipline and Punishment is like uh, pornographic... Yeah. um, Kind of torture. Anyway. But you're right. But like this is a problem... I I remember as a... You know, as a young person... Mm -hmm. Reading... Jacobson, mm. and I remember I I I I think I cried. What the? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm rolling my eyes. You're ro- he's so rolling his eyes. I think I I was shaken. Russian structuralism. I was shaken. <laughs> it's quite <laughs> mind blowing. Mind blowing, and 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 you thank know, God that uh, no, bec- s- Russian spy Kristeva brought it to the West. Um, yeah, because it was like I don't know. I think the the reason why I was really into it is because it kind of answers things mm. about life, but also not really. Mm. Like it talks about systems. And it says um, that um, that this system is like that, and that system is like this, and they connect, and na 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 na. But then? But then what? And that's why I, when when I hear about post-structuralism, I'm thinking maybe post-structuralism is just a part of structuralism, yeah, yeah. right? That's what they say. That's what they say in the. Post-structuralist. In the post-structuralist cafe. cafe. They're like, well, actually. The French post-structuralist cafe. They go, darling. It's just the same. (laughs) It's a branding exercise. A fad. Um, But that's what they say. Did you study structuralism? I did. I mean, because we will go back to my good friend Jacques Lacan. Uh, Would we? And uh, it was very in vogue <laughs> at the time he was like you know getting his training and stuff and he was thinking okay this is really cool like all these structuralist kind of ideas how can we reread freud through this like knowledge of linguistics and through jacobson and all these people and and to a, to a certain extent he did that like he basically by saying that you know the symbolic order for example is the field of language and the, the unconscious is structured like language he really really tried to integrate basically the psychic kind of reality with this kind of ideas of, of linguistic structures yeah i mean language was super and important he, and he, inter- he it was really great because like you know unlike foucault and derrida and all these people who got a bit stuck with language and couldn't think beyond that i think lacan kind of kept this more Hegelian airy, fairy kind of idea uh, of the real and of like w- what ex- escapes language and what reshapes language by escaping it. So in a sense, um, I like this kind of 
he's a structuralist. He, he, he is. I mean, some people would say he's a post-structuralist, but he's a structuralist with a little bit of kind of an eye for the spiritual externality. Because you know what uh, has always been my question. An eye. Mm, an eye. Because um, I know you, if, if you, if you, uh, you know how YouTube always has this, if you just let it play, yes. it will always go to specific songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would always go to Jacques Lacan if you <laughs> let it speak. <laughs> yeah. It would go there. It's my so, algorithm. So my, my, I would take it away a little bit and, and I would ask you, someone like Roland Barthes, for example, for me is a very interesting character because mm. it's like, well, character. I mean, okay, also character. Quite, yeah, it's I quite, quite like him. But um, did you know how he died? How did he die? Like a truck hitting. Ah, yeah, something like this, yeah. Um, which is Cr come crazy. On, come on, yeah. So intertextual. He, like, he, he almost kind of called for that. <laughs> yeah. um, is he a structuralist or a post-structuralist? I mean, I could yeah. go either way. Yeah, yeah. Would everybody go either way? What do they say in the cafes? What do they say in the cafes of Paris? You tell me. Structuralist or post-structuralist? Sandals.
the ABC of Pita. That ending was a bit cheap. Huh? It was really cheap. I'm sorry. I mean, what can I do? You know why I allow it? Why? Because this cheapness of this ending hits the nail on the head of the question of structuralism versus post-structuralism. It's a bit of a... And I will not explain this any further. No, I understand. You know, it's our usual banana lemon issue. Yeah, yeah. But we've spoken about the banana lemon issue before. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe or not on the podcast, but it doesn't matter. We haven't spoken about the banana lemon dichotomy? It's how do I know? Do you think I'm listening to the podcast? No, nobody does. Yeah. Okay. Um So let's take another word then. Yeah, I wanted to talk about swallowing. Ah, you wanted to talk about swallowing. Okay. It's like the act of swallowing yeah. with your So we're back to psychoanalysis, really? Yeah, I mean it's not my fault. S is very psychoanalytical. <laughs> the sound is it the sound um listen listen i have a very troubled relationship with swallowing your own saliva and that one sometimes if i think about it it's really hard but mm. yeah but that's the same as like when you repeat a word or when it goes weird when you think that you're working and you you cannot yeah yeah now i cannot or 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 if you're thinking about breathing too much and then you're like suffocated that doesn't happen. You no, know, it happens to me. <laughs> yeah. And you can get... Actually, now you say, if you think about your breathing, you might get... Stressed. Uh, it, it, yeah, like, like you, a like panic attack. Yeah. Yeah. This is why That's you, why you, the whole yoga thing is rubbish. <laughs> we said the same <laughs> terrible thing together. Wow. It was not planned. Oh dear! Wow, that was impressive. <laughs> yeah, and I was pla- and I was building the joke. Yeah. Well, anyway, why can't you do fita? You know, <laughs> there is a synergy. Ten years of only a day. Yeah, it was not. Uh, anyway, let's move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, did we give the word a swallow? <coughs> so I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm struggling now with swallowing. Anyway, I have a very intense gag reflex. Okay. And. Uh, I realized that when I was little, the first time I had to take an uh, antibiotic and they give it in these tablets that they are like, Daxi, they are not for humans. They are like three centimeters long, like, I don't know, mouth. Don't don't try to make that objective. It's really not important. You know that. Because we've discussed this before, and the things that Cala- you cannot swallow, other people can swallow without water. Yeah, when I see that, it really upsets me. And yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't swallow aspirin. Like my 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 father would have to, um, yeah, dilute it. Dilute it, mm-hmm. and I couldn't take any pills. If I had to take a pill, it would be such a huge struggle. Yeah, but you you eat right? Oh fuck off! You it's never like y- what? Yeah, and I eat very quickly, actually. And you eat quickly? Big bites. Yeah. I can swallow that, but anything that's not food, I struggle. Anyway, and then I, th- I had to do to take an exam at some point uh, to go to the doctor. I had a lung problem, and they wanted to put, like, a thing to see in inside of me. Mm-hmm. And just my gag reflex was so intense, so, so intense. They had to knock you out. 
they didn't, uh, but they wrote on my on the paper and still is in my medical history that I didn't collaborate. Cooperate. Cooperate. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor collaboration. <laughs> Doctor Dusos with with Doctor whoever on a wonderful duet. <laughs> and I was like, I felt really. I was really sad because it's not like I chose not to cooperate. There was nothing I could do. And like, it's not... Well. Fuck off. No. Well. I couldn't. I couldn't. Anyway, I will talk again about my psychoanalysis. Yeah. So you... you So I go to my analyst. So so we have a basis for for the story, which is that even as a child, you you couldn't swallow pills. Mm. You had a real problem when the doctor put things in your... And, and okay, throat and for the really pedestrian listeners, obviously, when I first started blowjobs, it wasn't spectacular. No, it wasn't spectacular. It wasn't. It didn't it was, happen. It didn't happen. It, yeah, yeah. It wasn't in my repertoire of great <laughs> hits. Right. It didn't really bother me that much. Um, uh, anyway, I, at some point I'm, I'm, I'm going to my analyst and I bring up this thing about pills because I had to take antibiotics and I couldn't and I was struggling. And, uh, and at that point, I don't think I've ever, I've even thought um, of this as a, something to work on. You know, I was like, yeah, I am like that. I cannot solve the pills. But you thought that it was biological. Physical, yeah. Okay, anatomical. Anatomical, gag, uh, very tight throat. Mm-hmm. I discuss it, I discuss it, I discuss it. A few months later, I need to take some pills. I take a pill, goes down. Lump, gulp. <laughs> and I'm like, what is the miracle? Yeah, the miracle of psychoanalysis. Okay. Uh, can I say something? Uh-huh. Generally, psychoanalysis is rubbish. I have no. Very good, but very Sometimes. little results. Yes. This is, if I have to say one result... <laughs> Happened, like CBT. Yeah, this is it. Swallowing. Is Swallowing is the, <laughs> in your life, the CBT example of psychoanalysis. Congratulations. Jacques Lacan, thank you very much. I can now blow my partners. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs>
take that utensils away from me don't take that liquidizer away from me don't take that cup of tea away from me don't take my rush mat away from me We have an intrusion in the Let studio. Let me speak! Let me speak! What do you want to say? Hello? Yes? Hello? Why, why, why are Am you I back? Am I on air? Am I on air? Yeah, why are you back? I would like to ask why I wasn't invited to talk about structuralism. But, my dear Safe Space, uh, we didn't think that you are an expert on structuralism. Do you think you have much to am say? I, am I not? Well, what are your opinions about structuralism then? I would like you to think that. Ah, we're almost done, huh? Oh, don't say that. Oh, well. We have some really good stuff coming up. Do we? Do we? Yeah, yeah. Okay. First of all... First of all... You know what time it is? What time is it? Um, it's the time to talk about poetry. Poetry. We have the poet of the week. We love poetry. We do. And this week we have my favorite writer, my favorite poet. Of in the world? Yeah, of all Maybe time. Maybe in the world? Maybe. Of all time? Yeah. Definitely in the top five? Yes. Okay. And who is that? It's Gertrude Stein. Ah, lovely. I really like her. And speaking of, uh, yeah, you know, we spoke a lot about structuralism. She's so one of the you know, foundational people of modernist uh, writing. Um, and she's been very, very influential in many different ways. She also hosted all these salons with all these intellectuals in Paris. She had this amazing art collection with Picassos and the Matisses and everything. Uh -huh. um, I went, actually, this, this summer I went to her, um, her tomb in Paris. It's really moving because... Um, grave her grave you see you see her grave and behind the tombstone it's uh the, it says the name of her partner alice Douglas, and it's, it's oh that's sweet it is quite sweet and also it's really it's like she lived in in gerdersteins like shadow and and when and Ger 
like in a way and when Gertrude died she couldn't inherit any of the, of her wealth because they were a lesbian couple and obviously that was not you know recognized it's quite tragic actually sounds awful um, so I, I, I'm going to read a bit of Gertrude Stein then. and one last thing I want to uh -huh, say uh -huh. is uh, when I first wrote the lyrics of Fita because Fita was a band before it was an art project. Back in the 10s. Yes. Um, I think I was heavily influenced by um, Gerdrich Stein and heavily. specifically <laughs> heavily. Tender Buttons. One could say... A bit more he than heavily like influenced. Like slightly plagiaristic. <laughs> yes. But, I just but she probably wouldn't. So... Um, <laughs> Would you like to read us a few? Yes, uh, so it is from Tender Buttons. Everything, yep. uh, everything we read today is from Tender Buttons, specifically from the middle section that's all about food. Custard. Custard is this. It has aches. Aches when? Not to be. Not to be narrowly. This makes a whole little hill. It is better than a little thing that has mellow, real mellow. It is better than lakes, whole lakes. It is better than seeding. I'm going to continue with potatoes. Potatoes. Real potatoes cut in between. And another version of potatoes. Potatoes. In the preparation of cheese, in the preparation of crackers, in the preparation of butter, in it. As in, in it, not in it. Roast potatoes. Roast potatoes for... Celery. You, would you like me to read celery? Yeah. Celery tastes, tastes. Where in curled lashes and little bits and mostly in remains. A green acre is so selfish and so pure and so unlivened. I really like this. I, th I think it's really wonderful. It's gorgeous. It is. And um, yeah, and now you know <laughs> what influenced me to write the lyrics. <laughs> Especially of the second album of Ita. The second album of Ita is all about food. Yeah. Each song is like a little potato, yeah. onions. And I like references to celery are not that unfrequent. It's true. I like both both the idea that y you create this kind of I don't know universe of, of ideas and feelings that happens within this you know quotidian spaces and and referring to everyday objects. But also I really like how she uses language is really wonderful. But I wanted to ask you a simple question mm -hmm. about the time that this was written. Yeah. Um, I don't know. W w was it taken as a... Was it uh, successful? Because I'm thinking, I'm thinking, mm -hmm. you know, we're talking about people who wrote, uh, you know, 600 pages of Finnegan's Wake and stuff like that. Super, super epic. Very playful, but super epic. Huge mm. thing. And here we have this bitty, super yeah. quotidian, bitty thing. Yeah. How was it received and where does it stand in terms of all that, those big masterpieces? 
It's a good question. I'm not 100% sure. Um, I do think that at the time she was influential as a, as a figure, but I'm not sure if, if she was recognized as, as a writer. Uh, I think she found her place in the modernist canon later on when feminists kind of basically started kind of investigating the women of the modernist writing kind of world. Um, and, and that's it. Because to me, it's almost like uh, a completely different thing. Yeah, if you maybe think of like... Maybe maybe it's, uh, you know... And it's not just because she's a woman. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, Virginia Woolf, for example, is not that hugely different to that those other writers. This is quite different, mm. you know. Uh, in my opinion, more revolutionary in its uh, structures. Mm. Anyway. So, let's have a drink to... Gertrude. The memory of Gertrude.
time flies. People say two now. hours is too much. We no. don't believe that, do we? We say it's not enough. Not enough. Four hours we should do <laughs> podcasts <laughs> yeah. for a long drive. We, for the, they, they would come with like um, a special like, you know, bill that you take and <laughs> you're hypnotized. Heroin. Heroin, yes. I think also the really long podcasts, they have more prepared material. I think what is unique about the ABC of it is... It's all improv. It's all improv. All improv. You cannot accuse us of any preparation. No. You cannot accuse us of any research. Very little research. You cannot accuse us of any knowledge. No, that's not true. We are full of knowledge. Full of knowledge. But you remember you used to be a live show. Like we would do it first in the radio and then we would upload it as a podcast. Yeah, I do remember that. Back in the day. Back in 2017. What a naive time that was, huh? No Donald Trump. No nothing. No COVID. No snow in Athens. (laughs) There was in 2007, but... Um, Anyway. Last word for the day. You know what is the last word is really good. It's your favorite thing in the world. Okay, I wouldn't go that far. Okay, you wouldn't go that far. Um, I have a troubled relationship. Another me. troubled relationship. Today it's, um, it's your troubled relationship day. Hey, because with the, with the S uh, sound. Ah, it's the S sound. Struggle. Um, anyway. You told so us from the beginning. The word is... Shit. Shit. And scat. Scatological. Scatological. All that poopy stuff. Let's poopy. Say. Very poopy. Very shitty. The abject. The most abject of the objects and the most everyday of the of the things we've discussed, right? Correct. And people shit every day. I mean, if you're lucky. Or some of us that are lucky three times a day. I find this obscene. Obscene. There are people who shit as part I, of their I think sexual life. Uh, in our yin yang, mm-hmm. oh my god, oversharing. Um, this I'm the constipated. Yeah, and you are the prolific when it comes to the yeah shittiness. Yeah, and and that's that's kind of how we work, isn't it? Yeah. Like, you know, I'm like I always suggest that we should do more things, and you're always more critical, and you like hold back, holding back. Yeah, so. <laughs> All of crea- of creativity is about pooping, isn't it? Really? Yeah, I mean, the, okay. I don't want to go back to psychoanalysis, but how but can I not? How can I not? Uh, I mean, I won't go to Lacan. Don't worry. I will okay. go straight to Daddy, Daddy Freud. And it's for me, it's really fascinating that before Freud, you know, started talking about shit in a philosophical context. There's not much in the discourse around shit. No? No, there is the... Ancient Greeks, nothing? Vanilla? No, they only... Only vanilla? They o- or they, mm, they only eat it? They only eat it, not talking. No, not talking <laughs> about it. They eat the poop and then they talk about the universe. Yeah, in the symposium they call Alcibiades, Alcibiades uh, F. Proctos. Sweet. Sweet anus. Sweet anus. <laughs> Taste it, uh, not analyze it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, but Freud is uh, is like wait a sec. Mm-hmm. There is something really major happening, um, and it's uh, he kind of starts his analysis by the potty training. So, you know, the child, the infant is born. 
they cannot control their uh, anus so they shit themselves all the time you know the babies and you have to clean them and then at some point there there it starts uh, there is there is a negotiation that starts to uh, a dialectic that starts to form around the shitting um um that where the parents try to explain to the kid that they can control their their anus this not the anus the the sphincter the sphincter and 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 as the child gets understands that too um there is a whole new dialectic around the object of this negotiation which is the third the shit and uh, the child perceives this kind of the potty training as the parents asking the the child to give this gift to them oh <laughs> and the child can give it or not or not mm-hmm. so they understand that they have control over an emotional transaction and the token of this emotional transaction is the poop is the poop so it becomes this like sadomasochistic thing i give it i give it notes i i, I keep it and you know this is this becomes a point of negotiation um and also in the fantasies of the kid shit is also something that is toxic so it could be like a gift but it would also be um punishment so it it, mm-hmm. it it becomes all these contradictory things and gets all these meanings and this is like where freud says that lots of the neuroses start uh so people who are withdrawing uh, their like we were keeping their emotions um this starts there like lots and lots of things similarly with food and swallowing uh but i think that the shit has this additional layer uh, of of then we learn that is um something really object something that needs we we are really, it's really disgusting it smells terribly we shouldn't look at it uh we should like make it disappear basically mm-hmm. so this is my first um <laughs> introductory comments happy, to shit happy. it's good stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> and for me reading this theory was really like interesting because i've only always had a really i was really constipated as a child i remember going to the summer camp and not going to the toilet for like seven days and stuff like that and uh, yeah that's painful and also glorious <laughs> you didn't give them any gift any gift like you kept it all for you yes um <laughs> i have a different relationship to shitting than you mm-hmm. it's just i have the opposite problem too much i don't know about too much but it's like it always wants to go out yeah it never wants to stay would you like to tell us this uh, theory of this greek composer <laughs> like the around creativity and shitting Nikos Carvelas Nikos Carvelas um <laughs> please i think it's really crucial he he was it's a greek um, composer of trash music yeah and he was he they asked him how long it took it took him to compose an opera and he said um quite long like five days <laughs> something like this and he, and they were like what only that long and he's like yeah i'm not constipated so he th- like he 
<laughs> compared his artistic output to shitting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it's not even... I think that's not even psychoanalytic, you know. Yeah, but what is crazy. It, it is crazy to see it, like, in the in the discourse of pop culture. Because it's it's quite, you know, because when you when you cannot shit, you cannot really do anything, can you, really? Mm, yeah, I, I, I know. I know the, the only thing you can do when you're constipated is to think complex thoughts. <laughs> and I think that's why you are a conceptual artist. In the poet and philosopher. So you, do you think Derrida only in the toilet uh, once every three year. days? <laughs> yes. <laughs> once a year, like sloths. No. But you also have another story to tell us. About I do. Cheating. It's the theoretical. Again, sorry. I mix a little bit, you know, a little bit my personal poop, a little bit the cultural poop. Yeah. There was a time I was thinking I would like to do a, a, a conference about shit. Um, this is a very good idea. Maybe I shouldn't say it on the podcast. I or think still steal our idea. The shit conference. I, I thought it was... I, thought, I think it still has potential. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah, one of the... One of the papers I, I read and I thought that would be an amazing thing at the conference. I think my friend of M- uh, May introduced introduced me to this. It's a uh, uh, it's an essay that's called Coco and Caca. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and t- and it's talking about the cu- the cultural history of um, chocolate. <laughs> I think you, s- you see where I'm going with this story. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't remember the name of the of, of the person who wrote who, who wrote this, but I can look it up and put it in the description of the episode. Uh, but uh, basically, her argument is that chocolate uh, appears in in Europe at the same time when uh, the first kind of organized. Uh, how you call it, like the system of the pipes, um, sewage system? Yeah. Uh, kind of the modern sewage systems kind of also emerges as, as in a... In houses. In houses and mm-hmm. uh, in Europe. So at the same time, you start having toilets basically in the houses and and um, at the same time, you you have chocolate emerging. And basically her, her point is that... Um, as basically people like the shit would disappear from our lives because we wouldn't we wouldn't see them we would just flash and they would disappear chocolate came to take their place in a symbolic way and and she goes as far as saying that that's why they mix it with sugar <laughs> whereas traditionally in the americas chocolate was a savory thing that you mix with spices and and with salt so in in Europe for the first time they mix it with sugar and she says that and I think it's a bit of a crazy idea but like she's researched it a lot <laughs> that at the time people would speak about shit the smell of shit as sweet the sweet smell of feces wow so she <laughs> really thinks that chocolate substituted the whole shit experience <laughs> I mean you know they say chocolate starfish exactly and since then like the relationship between chocolate and scat has been quite established um, 
There are many things I want to say about shit. I have more things to say. I think you you need like a whole episode. I'm like a shitologist. <laughs> the other thing is about the smell, like to go back to the sweet smell of shit. Um, that uh, like there are multiple flowers that contain the same chemicals that like makes shit smelly, and the most like the st- the starkest example is jasmine. It just has like this scat essence, but it's in a very very low uh, quantity. So in a, so if you if you dial up jasmine, it becomes shit. You know it's really popular in Germany. Jasmine <laughs> tea. Jasmine tea is like huge in Germany. Is this is this the time to introduce Germany into this discussion? And to also say goodbye. <laughs>